Welcome to the Wags of SCI podcast, where we discuss all things life, love, and caregiving after spinal cord injury, hosted by Elena Polly and Brooke Paget. Our partner's spinal cord injuries are what brought us together, and our common bond as caregivers to quadriplegics is what helped us to create the advocacy group, WAGS of SCI, which is an acronym for Wives and Girlfriends of Spinal Cord Injury. We know firsthand the challenges this lifestyle presents, and our mission is to spread awareness and positivity from our unique perspective. So join us each week as we discuss fresh topics and new ideas surrounding relationships, self-care, and living your best life as a caregiver and partner to someone with a serious injury. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Wanks of SEI podcast. Here we go. Let's put this episode on a momentary pause because we want to introduce all of you to one of our amazing sponsors, Wishart Brain and Spine Law. Led by our personal mentor and lawyer, Robin Wishart, Wishart Brain and Spine Law is a uniquely specialized law firm located in Vancouver, British Columbia. They focus their practice on complex spinal cord injury and traumatic brain injury cases and work with clients all over North America as advocates and a much needed resource for the SEI community. Robin and her team look at their clients differently than other firms. You are not just a case, you're a person with a family, a life, and a purpose. Robin and her team are always looking for ways that they can help rebuild the best life possible for their clients by finding them support they need for their recovery, such as assisting with insurance or benefits paperwork, finding resources for home adaptations, setting up medical appointments with doctors and specialists, making sure that her clients are doing okay physically and mentally. Wishart Brain and Spine Law is proud to support WAGS of SCI. Robin is committed to helping clients and their families any way she can because she wants you to live a life and not your claim. Your first consultation is always free, so contact them at brainandspinelaw.com and make sure you mention the WAGS of SCI. This podcast is brought to you in part by Megan Williamson, head coach at Ocean Rehab and Fitness. Live life with an SCI and looking to improve your fitness? Or maybe you're finished rehab and want to take the next step in strengthening your body. Megan Williamson at Ocean Rehab and Fitness now offers online adaptive training programs and one-on-one coaching to individuals around the world with spinal cord injuries. Visit www.oceaninsiderclub.com for more information on how you can get started on achieving a stronger you. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Wags of SCI podcast. Uh, we are your hosts, Brooke Paget and Elena Polly, coming at you this beautiful morning um, to discuss some very important issues. Mm-hmm. Not sure about beautiful morning. We've been having them on soon out here, Brooke, uh, and we will until Sunday. So it's beautiful it's in a my lot apartment. Of fun when you're... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyways, uh, it's not that fun for a wheelchair user. But anyways, so this week, Brooke and I have been really heavy hitting the topic of caregiver awareness. So caregiver rights. Uh, both of us are caregivers to our partners. Uh, Brooke is 24-7 care. I am 
<laughs> 22 an hour. hour. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I get an hour and a half, the, or we get an hour and a half in the mornings for care. So I guess I'm 22.5 <laughs> um, out of 24, 24 7 care. So, um, yeah, it's, we're laughing because it's just been like a really long week of a lot of conversation coming from women all across the country, all across the states, across the world. And we're talking about our policies in relation into what happens to your partner's benefits when they do have a partner, a common law spouse, a wife who's always around. The system seems to really like to disappear and leave leave your partner in the dust to kind of fend for themselves so you know i guess in a roundabout way they're sort of saying that people with disabilities either cannot will not or should not have a partner a common law spouse or a wife in their life because once they do that wife or common law partner is required to care for somebody such as our partners with a high level spinal cord injury and uh, without compensation. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest issues here is that caregiving is a full-time job. It's it's quite demanding on you physically, mentally, emotionally, but there are no programs. There is no social infrastructure put in place to provide relief for us, the caregivers. You know what though, Elena? There is one, one we learned this week is that Finland actually does have a program and as far as we know, it's one of the only ones, I think, in the world that we've heard of where they pay you to be a caregiver to your spouse if you choose. And if that's what you want to do, they consider it a job. They pay you or he pays you with their program. Um, and you also get three days a month of respite care so that you can go off and take care of yourself. And so, you know, one of our followers anonymously posted that she she let us share um her story because she lives in Finland and everybody was like, when can we move to Finland? Oh my God. Like it's just really, this week has been full of a lot of awareness. And the reason we're doing this is because um, it's SCI awareness month and we're also getting ready for November, which is caregivers awareness month. So we're trying to highlight a bunch of stories and, you know, I don't know about you, Elena, but we've been, you know, getting a lot of talk about how people are just so shocked at the stories that we've been sharing this week. Right. Yeah, I think it's been quite eye-opening and also part of the deeply rooted systemic problem is that we are so conditioned to not speak up about um, caregiver awareness uh, issues within the household um, because honestly, it's kind of embarrassing that we we don't have any anything to lean back on, you know, to fall back on. There's nothing in place for us or our partners. Not even that. You and I have talked about this so many times that you used to say, I, I I need to feel my feelings or or whatever, but it's it's true because your partner is the one who a sustained the injury is going through a whole heap of medical issues, let alone just kind of surviving each day as it comes. That us as partners, we feel kind of bad complaining, or even when we are exhausted, we always say like, oh well, we still have our able body. Oh mm-hmm. well, we can still keep going. So. What happens is we just kind of throw ourselves into it and realize that their needs are a lot of the time they're quite urgent. Mm -hmm. So you're always on your body and your mind is always on. There's always something that will happen. And it's kind of hard to explain it to like friends and family who are just like, okay, like, yeah, they don't. I know that. 
I know that some people are like, why are they always going on about this? Like why? Like, yeah, the spinal cord injury happened like five years ago or whatever. But what people don't, don't understand is that it is a daily issue to like, there's always something that's going to present itself as an issue throughout the day. Something will always happen, not even always happen. And we're talking from physical symptoms of like, let's say recognizing AD symptoms to, you know, performing a catheter properly for your partner to, I don't know, bladder infections, headaches, maybe sometimes it's simple things like they have dropped something on the floor and they need you to pick it up. So a lot of the time, you have to be aware, you have to be on, you you can't just kind of like check out and just like be in la la land. Always. And I think that that's part of yeah. And I think that's part of, you know, what we keep on saying is that like, where is the support for us? Yeah, you know, like let's talk about that story of the one girl whose whose mother had passed away being her caregiver. Do you want yeah. to talk about that for a second? Because yeah. that for me, I feel I feel like that hit home for me. I don't know why. Maybe because um, I am the power of attorney for my mom who has Parkinson's, who's in a care facility now, but also Dan here. But if there's nothing more sad than seeing your parents being affected physically and just mm-hmm. and just sitting back and watching it happen. Well, yeah, and I think I think the biggest issue that I can see from hearing everyone's stories over the past week and just being in the community since, you know, my husband's injury, the biggest issue is that the people that are dictating the policies and the people that are in charge of assigning care and assigning help and the people that are in charge of changing legislation and making legislation, they do not know what this life is like. No matter how hard they try, you know, your case manager, your MLA, you know, people in power do not know what it's like to be in a relationship like ours. They don't know what it's like to have a spinal cord injury. They don't know what it's like to have the devastation that comes on a daily basis. They don't know that the the case managers that are in charge of the care and assigning the hours of care that you get, they don't understand. Even the nurses that are doing the assessments for the insurance companies they do not understand. And so I feel like there's a lack of understanding there. And this story that was submitted to us was, she's one of our followers. She's paralyzed herself. She's a C3 injury. So she's very high level injury and she was paralyzed. And for the first four years, her mom actually took on her care for her because she had no other care. Um, There was some issues that happened with third party care. She didn't qualify. Something happened where her mom had to to do the care. And so her mom was so stressed out and it was so terrible because she had so many complications. I think she had like 10 surgeries and she was in and out of hospital and her mom was so stressed out. She was so stressed out. And then what happened four years into her care after she'd applied for care so many times and was denied, 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 um, her mom actually passed away from a stroke and the, yeah. yeah. And the physician said that it was due to stress, um, just because of her lifestyle. And so the mm-hmm. poor girl was left alone. Um, and then she had a discussion with her case manager about what had happened. And her I think ca- multiple discussions, right? Yeah. Like but, she had yeah. multiple, multiple times. Yes. Yeah, so she's a, she'd applied for five years to have some respite care, to have something. Yeah. And she was denied, denied, denied. And so what happened then was she was on the phone with her case manager and she was letting the case manager know that her mom had passed away from stress um, due to lack of support uh, for caregivers. And 
the she actually recorded the conversation, which was amazing. So smart. Anyone out there? Number one tip, record all your calls, record your conversations with these people. Um, so she recorded the conversation and she actually had on record the case manager saying that if she had applied one more time, they would have approved it because they have a policy where if you apply and appeal more than three or four times, I believe, or I'm not sure the exact number, but there's a certain number of applications that you do and a certain number of denials. And then after a certain number, they have to approve it. So she said, well, if you would have applied one more time, you're, you would have gotten approved for more care and your mom would have been paid. Um, so it's your fault so that your mom your died. Fault. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that is she, your fault that your mother had died. Yeah. So she had that on recording. So what she did was she took it to court. She sued the insurance company. Um, the girl got no ramifications. The case manager that had bullied her for all those years and that had said that to her over the phone got no ramifications except paid leave. Yeah, paid leave. Was yeah. that insane? Yeah, and after that, the judge ruled that she should be paid retroactively for all the hours that her mom cared for her. Because they had a rule that said that if there was no other care available, that the family member could be paid for care. And so I think that really demonstrates, you know, she wanted to know by sharing that story that if you appeal enough, if you make your case enough, and if you don't give up, eventually you will succeed because the policies are wrong. Um, judges, you know, I've looked, oh, I've spent hours and hours and hours and hours online myself scrolling through judgments and cases in Canada about caregivers and caregivers' rights. And although there aren't very many, all of the ones that I've seen, the judge knows what's up. They always rule in favor of the person that is being discriminated against and not receiving what they need from insurance or government programs. These programs are put in place specifically to help save the insurance company money and save the government money. And they bank on the fact that 90% of these people will go away. And that's where the problem exists, right? Because no one does anything about it. And so this is our mission in life, Elena, right? Is, is changing Mm -hmm. this and actually like making our voices heard so I think we should, for, for all of you listening out there right now who haven't listened to our caregivers podcast before and the issues at hand, what is the issue at hand? The issue at hand is that as a spouse or a common law girlfriend that lives with a partner with a serious disability cannot be paid to take care of him, but there are government and insurance programs all over the world that will pay for care from somebody else. For, so, from another company, right? So from another person. So even, yeah. Yes, exactly. And honestly, just to hop in real quick, um, I remember the first, like both you and I have been doing our partner's care since rehab days when they were both like in rehab. The nurses, I remember this specifically, nurses were overworked, understaffed. The spinal ward and uh the rehab center were the there were so many people they were flooded that i remember dan calling me and saying hey they can only give me one shower a week on wednesdays or whatever it was and other than that like he wouldn't even be able to get that sometimes so what would we do i i would show up you would show up we would be their partners that's yeah. what we would do because same experience even even yeah, gain experience. We learned how to transfer them right away. We learned how to do wound care right away, how to cath, how to do bowel program, how to 
basically look for signs of, like I said, AD because our partner's injuries um, don't allow them to sweat. We even have to spray them down with a little mist or water bottle to simulate sweat so they can cool down. I mean, these are all things that we as partners take on because we love our people. That's what it is. It's you care about your partner. So they know that you care about your partner. You will provide the best care for them because you're trying to make their life as easy as possible. You want to keep them healthy. So the system does rely heavily on us. We've heard this time and time and time again from professionals, from doctors that they rely on us as caregivers to relieve the medical system, the healthcare system, especially during COVID. And you know what? And I remember that first couple of months, I slept on an air mattress beside Dan's bed when we had a rental unit. We rented all the equipment that we needed for that one month. And I remember we had home care coming in at that time and they would show up late, sometimes wouldn't show up. Sometimes it'd be a couple hours late. Sometimes they would show up and say, no, I can't do this. No, I don't want to do that. Like basic care needs that they were supposed to be trained to do. I had mm-hmm. one one girl show up and she was so stressed out from her last client. She ended up sitting there and telling us, she was like, can I get a glass of water? I just, I'm so stressed out. Oh, I just had the worst time ever. And we were brand new with our injury, thinking that these are people we we are supposed to like rely on and trust. And we were kind of in our own kind of, you know, shock of everything just changed. And these are people that are now coming into our home and having to share our home with us. And I mean, not to say like now our care is totally different. We have women that we absolutely love, but we are also five years in now. It's taken us a very long time. It's taken us at least four years to find the right people that we truly don't mind sharing our space and home with in the mornings for that care. And I'm telling anybody who's listening, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And I'm not trying to say this to be like, make my partner feel like a burden, which a lot of the time he says, you know, you make me feel like a burden. And the, the matter of the fact is that I am human. You're human. Every caregiver is human. We have our own needs. We have our own, you know, we have our own physical and mental health to take care of too. And the least that the government can do is provide us with something, benefit. Yeah. Something. But you know what, Alina, that the thing is, is like, they do have a, be- a benefit for family caregiver. We're always grouped in as family caregivers. Um, yeah. Like everybody else. Yeah. And it's just, it's grouped in with elderly care. And in the government in Canada has a caregiver benefit, um, but it's a tax benefit um, and it's $800 tax benefit. And here's the thing. When you make a low income, you don't have to pay taxes anyways. So it doesn't help you. (laughs) So that's my issue is like, there's nothing that really helps um, when they're willing to pay someone to do it anyways. And so my thing is like caregiving part-time or full-time it's not for everybody. I mean, our community is pretty, you know, divided on that. Some of them will say, you know, I can't live without my caregiver. I love her. I can't live without my nursing staff. I wouldn't be able to do it on my own. And that's great. That's fair enough. They, you have nursing for that. But my issue is when you choose to be there and look after your partner and you're the one there all night and you're the one doing the bowel program in the morning because you want your freedom and you want to be able to work, wake up when you want, or there's not staff. And like in our case, there's no staff that can come at five 30 in the morning when we get up. Well, if you choose that, 
you're penalized because for some reason, if you're married or living with your partner, you cannot be paid for providing the best care possible to help your life remain as normal as possible for you. And that's where I draw the line because this is against basic human right to compensation, employment, and it's discrimination based on marital status and family status. It just is. Right. Yeah. You make a, you make a good point, actually, about the times that you wake up and when you guys need care, because I remember that specifically standing out for us as well was the nurses saying, OK, so what time what time do you usually go to bed? And we were thinking, well, I don't know, like like a regular bedtime. Well, we can only have a nurse come to you. For, yeah. You have yeah. to be in bed by eight o'clock yeah, and you same. can't get out of bed till about 10. Same. Yes. And we were and. And we were like, what are you talking about? That's like you spend the majority of your life in bed. So a lot of the time I would say to Dan, I'll just do it. Well, and that's, Alina, I'm so, it's so funny. We both had the exact same experience where it's like, well, you have to, in order to have care, if you're going through an agency, which is paid for by the government and insurance, it's fully supported. You have to customize your life around someone else's schedule. And not to mention the fact that when we had care for the first year and a half of my partner's injury, we had a nurse coming in for four hours in the morning and they show up late. Sometimes they don't come at all. And you're relying on another person to help you. And my personality, I know a lot of women out there are the same as me. I'm not the type of person that likes to like be scheduled that's why I work for myself. That's why I have the life that I have. I don't like to have a schedule for myself, let alone having to go by someone else's schedule. So like, as you can see, anybody who's listening out there, it's a very complicated issue and it's a very individual issue. But the bottom line is you should have a choice as to who your care provider is. And it should be based on what you need to, to live a normal life. The Charter of Rights and Freedoms in, internationally states that people with disabilities should be integrated into society and have a normal life, as normal as possible. Buildings should be accommodating. There should be accessible mm-hmm. washrooms everywhere. There should be no barriers for a dis- disabled person. Because we already yeah. have enough limitations. But but you know what's funny about that, though? And I think that rehab, when people go through rehab as well, that's what they they try to instill in you from the get go is that even though you are you have spinal cord injury, you're starting with no strength. Your is, is that of like an infant, a, a baby, because you've lost everything in terms of your muscle function and whatnot. Um, but hey, you're in a chair, but you're, you can still go out for dinner, you can still go get a job, you can still do all these other things. So they do heavily try to like push that into you. And then you have nurses that come up to your house, and they tell you you need to be in bed by eight, and you won't get up till 10. So how in the world are you going to be able to hold down any kind of regular job, let alone what about appointments? People with injury have a lot of different appointments that they have to keep up with. We have, you know, Dr. Nav even says this, that it's very important to have outpatient rehab, um, outpatient OTPT. So how in the world are you ever going to be able to navigate a regular life, so to speak? But these are the limitations that are being placed on you by the people who are supposed to help you. I just don't understand that. And again, this is where caregivers come in. How many times have we both said to our partners, I'll just do it. I'll just handle it. Oh, you had a bowel accident. I'm at work. Oh, they can't come for five hours. 
I'll just leave work. I'll just give up my income or the money that I'm going to make. We're going to lose out and I'll come home and clean you because it is so disgusting and so unsanitary to allow a human being to sit in their own feces for five hours. Well, it's and not okay. yeah. And the thing is, is like agencies and even like private care, you know, home care services, they have other patients. They have other clients. Um, they're busy. They do the best that they can. But at the end of the day, it's a paycheck to them, right? And so I feel like that's a huge thing for, for us is that we always say the best care are those who care. And like I said before, caring for your partner is not for everybody. It's a decision and it should be a choice based on your own specific circumstances. You should have the choice. Right. You know, we have unlimited choices in society, right? We're supported in so many mm -hmm. ways. We're lucky to live in Canada. We, we have choices for everything. Um, I know we posted on Instagram today a little uh, clip of the – we have a program here in Canada. It's government-funded, and it's called – it's very similar to every other um, country. And it's called Choices for Independent Living. What is it called? Mm -hmm. It's called CECL. What, what does it stand for? Choices Cecil. in I Options for Independent Living. But it's basically – yeah. Yeah, basically the CECL program is what we're trying to get on board with right now. And even that is taking us months and months and months. Um, but basically what you do is an injured person has the option to hire their own staff to kind of curate their own program for their own needs yeah. in terms of, let's say you need, you need an emergency visit or you know, you, you want to set up your own program that you can regulate yourself. But again, the issue at hand is no, Dan cannot hire me. And I've said, I said, well, we're not married. Like, why wouldn't I be able to get hired? Because family members are. So basically, if I moved out of my apartment and I got an apartment across the hall from him, I could be hired. And they mm -hmm. said, yeah. 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 So I said to Dan, yeah. I said, so we either we split up. We I move out, even if I rent a place across the street or across the apartment for me, then I can get up in the mornings, I can come and do your care and then I can be compensated. So it's like, why are we having to do these all these little little loops and, you know, little sneaky ways of doing things? It, it wastes so much time. It's such a headache. Fighting the system, they make it very impossible. And we're not asking for something that's totally ridiculous. And then not we're, to mention that you got to pay for your own apartment, your other apartment. It yes, defeats the purpose. Yes. You got to pay for your own apartment. You got to legally separate. Yes. You got to file your taxes yep. separately. You got to have a different mailing address. Why yep. does it matter? What is what on earth kind of gray area are like literally and they all all the case managers know about this. Evan and I are, you know, Elena, you know, we're work safe. It's the exact same mm -hmm. program. It's just through WorkSafe. So Workers' Comp in Canada, for those listening um, who don't know, Workers' Compensation in Canada is an arm of the government. Um, it's very similar to CECL, <laughs> except it's lower paying. But basically, you you hire your own care staff. They just give you the money to do that. So it makes you more independent. But once again, because we're married, I cannot be hired to do that. So Elaine and I are both fighting the same battle, just in a little bit of a different arm of the government. Um, yeah, I mean, and it's it's actually kind of a bummer because both of us have had um, independent occupational therapist assessments um, done. So it's like a time task analysis 
report that is done. Basically, it's about five hours long. Your independent OT comes in-house. Um, and thanks to Robin Wishard, she was able to hook us up with that, which is amazing because at a rehab, Dan was giving, like I said, like, what, two hours? He's a C5 quadriplegic, two hours of care a day. So what would somebody who didn't have a because partner you're do there. with themselves? Yes, That's important to know because you're already there and living with him and already yes. doing things, then he'll qualify for less hours. Yeah. So Same. what would somebody so what would somebody do with other 22 hours when they're by themselves? <clears throat> Reality is there's a lot that can happen. Not to mention both of our apartments aren't he, he wouldn't be able to get out of it safely if there was a fire. No, he can't same. get out of he can't get out of bed in, in time to get to escape a fire. Um, so he would have to get carried out. It's funny because like he sleeps naked most of the time, and I keep on saying to him, I'm like, you know, like if I have to go be with my mom or whatnot, um, you need to wear pajama pants or underwear because if you get firemen carried out of here, which has happened by the way, mm-hmm. that has happened to him, um, that you don't want to be butt naked sitting on the street, you know, while they investigate. So there's just so many different issues with that, but but you know it's what a though, long Elena, the short issue is is that if you weren't there, he would qualify for more hours and he would have someone there to look after him. Mm-hmm. And it that's the sad because, truth. Yeah, and it sucks because, I mean, to be totally honest, it's brought up a lot of arguments between Dan and I. It's put a lot of strain on our, our personal relationship throughout the years as well um, because I'm exhausted. Like, I'm I'm tired, uh, you know, and I feel bad, but sometimes it's, you know... Anybody who's listening who's a wag will understand when you when your partner needs something and then you just say to him, like I say to Dan, I'm like, okay, ask me for everything that you think you'll need in the next like half an hour. Ask me to do those things really quick. Do you need a glass of water? Do you need me to get your computer, get your school books? Do you need help transferring into bed, out of bed? Do you need breakfast? Do you need like, what is it? Because what will happen is it's kind of like a snowball effect. <laughs> He'll be like, yes, I want water or coffee or whatever. I'll make him coffee. And then I'll be like, okay, I'm going to leave. I'm going to get out the door. Babe, before you leave, can you put my shoes on? Baby, for you, like, there's always something. So I guess that's what we're saying. Like, I hope it doesn't sound like I'm like totally complaining here. I'm just trying to paint a picture for somebody who doesn't under- understand what it's like to care for somebody with consistent needs. They can't do everything themselves, right? I mean, it's not their fault. This you is know, just the way it is. You know what, though? Speaking on this for people that are listening that are kind of thinking the same thing. I had a little conversation um, with somebody about this because they were watching our stories and, you know, they had compared it to mothers and how stay at home moms are not supported by the government either. And it's not a recognized position because to speak about what you were saying, Elena, about how, you know, it's just a snowball effect. It's, it also has a lot to do with the fact that it's not recognized. It's not treated with respect. It's unpaid care that isn't recognized. And let's be real for a second. If we were able to be hired by our partners for the work that we're already doing and recognized and compensated and to be able to file our taxes with an income on it for once as a caregiver, that resentment, like, let's be honest, that resentment would not be there. And so it it matters. It matters because it's what's right. And I think, you know, a lot of the times we get upset because it's like, yeah, we love doing this for our partners. We love helping them. But the fact that we're not yeah. respected or recognized is huge. And so back to what I was saying about parents, you know, that comparison, well, the government doesn't support parents either. And that's a huge thing. They're stay-at-home moms. I have one thing to say about that. 
I totally understand why people have children. You know, it's a personal choice. You can choose whether to have children or not. You can choose if that works for your lifestyle. But at the end of the day, it's a choice. None of our guys chose to have a spinal cord injury. It's something that happened. It's an accident. It's something that is so unfortunate. And whether it's, you know, their fault or not, it's not a choice. It's an accident. It's something that is, you know, caused by a variety of factors. And so because of that, you know, our governments are all set up in a way that we are to support the disabled in our society. That's why you pay taxes. You know, it's to go to these social programs, to go to these support programs so that these people can live normal lives and not be shafted away. You know, we owe it to to these people, right? And so when you compare it to moms and stay-at-home moms, and yeah, the Scandinavian countries, they support, you know, homemakers as a profession. But they're also very progressive and they have that money. They pay 60% taxes, right? That's where the money goes. Mm-hmm. But we didn't choose this. Now, we didn't choose this injury to happen to us. However, we did choose to take this injury and make the most out of it (laughs) and stay with our partners because we love them. And that is our choice. Now, because we choose that. we're penalized for that, though. Yeah, exactly. Because we choose that. Because we choose to stay. We're taken advantage of. We relieve the healthcare system. We make it so insurance companies save millions of dollars a year because we love our partners. So in what society is that okay? It's not. It doesn't but make you, any sense. And right? you know what? Um, no, it doesn't. And the thing is also is like I get questioned. I don't know about you, but even for my own family, not Dan's side, my side, um, the question came up so many times of are you sure this is something you want to do even when he had his injury are you sure like you're like yes it's very it's very noble of you to stay but are you sure that this is the right thing for you Mm. you you know you need your own career and all these other things and go get a real job Elena and Uh you know you you won't it's very romanticized that you're fighting for the caregiver's rights, but you won't be the one to change these policies, not in this lifetime. Yeah. So those are some statements that I've had. Yeah. It's been a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. Um, but, but also these are the kind of statements that we as caregivers also hear. So it's not like, it's so hard to explain because it's already, it's just, it's quite stressful not having the full support from, a, from other people around you who, who you think that you could have support. But anytime that you do feel overwhelmed, that is still the option that a lot of people will tell you, you know, you know, Elena, you could always leave. You could always just go. It's like, thanks. We've been together for eight years. Mm-hmm. Just for anybody who's wondering how long mm-hmm. we've been together. We've been together for eight years. You guys have been together for a very long time as well. How long have you been together? 10 years, just 10 over, years, just so over decade. 10 years. Yeah. And yeah. it's not like, so, it's not like there's just, we're just the type of people that are going to be like, Oh yeah, we'll go find someone else. Yeah. We're, we'll leave when it gets tough. It's like, <laughs> no, like you're with somebody cause you love them and love doesn't, isn't, you know, fleeting depending on the situation. I mean, for sure, some people it is, but for us, it's not. And that's why I say it's like, it's a choice. It's your choice. It should be your choice. Do you want to stay at home? Do you want to go back to work? It's your choice. We didn't choose this injury like people choose to have children. It's a choice. It's a conscious decision. And you can't compare the two, right? And so it's it's tough. That's a tough one. Especially like... Friends with yeah. kids will always kind of try to relate with you and be like, yeah, I know, because I have kids or or friends with kids. That will Don't get me wrong. Stressed out. 
Yeah, don't no, get me no, wrong. No. There's a lot of similarities, right? There is. There are. And there are very valid feelings and emotions yeah. and stressors that go yeah. with it. We'll, we'll try to, and I think as human beings, we try to relate to each other by saying, oh yeah, me too. Or yes, I understand because of this and this, right? We just try to sympathize. Naturally, we want to fix things. But um, that's the one thing I just, I'm like always kind of say to myself, I'm like, uh, I didn't really have nine months to prepare for this. I didn't make um, the decision to have my partner have a spinal yeah. cord injury and my life to be turned upside down. No, but it's like you make the most out of it, right? You make your life how but, you want it. Yeah, and you and you decide that you want to. Your partner is still worthy of love. Your partner is still your partner, and yeah, there's a lot more complications and challenges. And you know, there will always be those moments and days. Like we, you know, we're not just sugarcoating it. We don't always have pink pink rose-colored sunglasses on there are difficult days too and I guess bringing a little bit more awareness to feel your feelings as you would say is the way to go but you know what though Elena what do we always say to people messaging us saying like oh we're overwhelmed we're stressed out it's not the spinal cord injury that is the stressful part of the equation. It's having to make money, support your partner, have no emotional totally. support, no mental support, no programs for you. Um, that's why you get in arguments. That's why you fight because you don't have that support. You don't have the ability to pay your bills. You don't have the ability to make sure that you're looked after. And that is the stress. We can deal with the medical stressors. They're freaking difficult, but we can deal with them. It's the stuff on top of that, the having to, you know, care for two people at once and having someone with a high, high needs, high medical needs that nobody knows how to do this kind of stuff that we do. Not even nurses, right? Like I've talked about stories Mm -hmm. before when, when I've had care, like, you know, like when you and I went to, for one night, came home, uh, the care that came didn't even know how to do a catheter, didn't know how to do an internal catheter. Uh, my husband's like skin was ripped up and bleeding and it was terrible. So it was more damage. Yeah, yeah it, it was, was more damage. damage. Yeah. And so good that it provided. Yeah. And then and, you have, and then you have to deal with that as well. I maintain, you know, how do you get over that? I well, it took three weeks to heal that. that. It took three, and three also weeks. mentally and emotionally for you yeah. guys too, right? It kind of like drained you a little bit and, and it's tough because it's like, who do you get upset at? And then you think to yourself, well, (laughs) right. And then you think to yourself, well, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Well, maybe I won't be doing that again. Right. It's like, who can you trust? It's really, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of stuff. I mean, and I'll be totally honest with you. There are days where something will break in the house or I'll have like too many groceries. Like I'm carrying, trying to carry all the groceries all up at once. And like, let's say I bag rips and food goes flying everywhere. I have those moments where I'm like, ah, shit. Like, I wish I just had that extra bit of support or something, you know? Um, you know what? I, I want to mention, you- I want to mm-hmm. mention, we... Um, about how long ago was it, Elena? Almost a year now. Met with uh, a board of um, researchers who are in charge of programs at the local rehab hospital here oh, in Vancouver, right? Yeah. right? GF Strong. Yes. And um, I'll never forget our initial interview <laughs> with them. They were saying, asking us all these questions, trying trying to get into the head of caregivers. And they were saying like, you know, our goal is to establish a program to help caregivers because there's no programs for caregivers at rehab. The only reason we learned what we learned is because we both took a keen interest because we knew that down the line we'd be doing this. Right. So we learned whatever it took on our own time. 
coming at 7 a.m., showering our partners, doing our catheters, learning from the spinal cord injury nurse nurses, absorbing all that information, going to all their classes, OTPT. Um, there was no classes for us. There was no support groups for us. Right. And so there, no, a lot of the time, a lot of the time, the nurses and doctors would look at you as like, yeah. in the background of the of the person, they, which is good, like they're talking directly to the person who's injured. But then it's always an afterthought mm-hmm. at the very maybe the second or third appointment that they're like, Oh, by the way, who is this? Who is this person with you? Can you imagine if there had been like a training program for caregivers? Like that would solve so many problems, especially the safety issue. Like there's nothing, there's no training. You're literally thrown into the deep end and you have to watch and learn. And, and it's like life or death situations. Which which I kind of find fascinating because think about how much schooling doctors and nurses and OT and PT have to go through. And this as a caregiver, you learn this literally out of panic uh-huh. Um, when you are dealing with it and, and when you're facing it, and usually that's within the first month of out of rehab. I remember Jadine, one of my favorite nurses there, had said the first month it's going to be hell. And I promise it get ba- it gets better. And I thought to her, Hell, I don't think it's gonna be hell. I think I'll be fine. I can tell you for sure that I spent many, many, many days in tears on the bathroom floor <laughs> after I put my partner to bed because I was just like, Holy smokes, it's just like the adjustment, right? It's hard to imagine that people go to school for years for this kind of training and that we're capable as the wives and girlfriends or anybody who's who's been put in this position because you're you're acting out of that almost like fight or flight response for your partner because you love your partner because you're the only one there at the time so i think these are still very valid conversations that need to be recognized um, well, Elena, I remember when we were in rehab, there was weekly peer mentorship and there were, were daily seminars on how to do this, how to do that. Nothing was for the caregiver. The caregivers didn't even participate. It was for patients no. only, you know, and it's so, kind of like, you know, when they're making that, those policies that we're, we're lucky enough to be included in, um, back to what I was saying before in our research and development of caregivers programs at the rehab level in Vancouver, and hopefully it expands all over Canada. So it's a great honor to be, um, participating in this, you know, it's a four year study. We're on the panel for it. It's amazing. But I just remember when they were asking us questions, Elaine and I like looked at each other. We're like, they're like, what do you need we as a caregiver? We haven't had enough coffee yet. No, but they were like, what do you need as a caregiver? What about this? What about this? What about this? And we were reading all their notes and we looked at each other and we're like, okay, we're, we're not meaning to be rude here, but like we need compensation and some sort of support. Money. And, and they're we like, well, money. it was hard for them to wrap their heads around because they're like, well, what about this? Like, what about counseling and this and that? And, and, and getting, going on an online forum and tell, and talking about your problems. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's a nice thought, but what actually matters is having that social support so that you can care for your partner, be compensated if that's what you choose to do, and be able to support your life when they're just going to pay someone else to do it anyways, right? The thing is, at the end of the day, your partner still has to eat, you still have to eat. You do have bills that you're still going to have to pay for. And when you both lose your jobs because you're now the caregiver and your partner lost their job because they can no longer do that job anymore, especially if it's like physical manual labor, Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, even if even if they could go back to their job, it takes months to recover, to be able to adapt your office or your space to be able to perform that job at the same level. Mm-hmm. Um, but you in that time, you're still a lot of us are paying rent while we're paying our mortgage. So we're paying rent for the new place that we have to stay in that's now accessible, mm-hmm. paying the mortgage for the old place that used to be your home, not to mention having to pack up your entire life and your all your belongings, all your partner's belongings and go and do all of that. And, and, you know, the nightly stays, the gas going back and forth, like the stressors, the financial stressors are a real thing. It's not like we're saying we want money to go I don't know, to Las Vegas and party. Like we're saying we want to have money so that we don't have to stress about what's the next thing that's going to happen. Or maybe I need that piece of equipment, but our insurance, if you have insurance is not going to kick in for X amount of months, but we need that. So it's, if you don't have that security, you're literally screwed. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's let's talk about the bottom line here. The bottom line is if you choose to be a caregiver for your role, that means you don't have time to go and get another job. That means you're a caregiver. If you choose to be a caregiver because you care the most about your partner and you provide the best care and you're the best qualified person for the job, you should be compensated. That is your right as a human being as someone who's the most qualified for a job. I, I, we're going through an appeal right now with my husband's insurance. Shout out to WorkSafe BC for always accommodating us when whatever my husband needs. <laughs> Anyways, we're going through, we are going through an appeal right now. Um, because my husband applied for the self-managed care program, which is the same as Cecil. And, he literally applied it and said, listen, my wife's been looking after me for six years by herself with no support. I want to be able to hire her to be able to compensate her properly and give her that recognition because she cannot work a nine to five job. And on the, on the appeal, he literally said he laid out comparative salaries for my experience in education in Vancouver. He's like, my wife, Brooke, could be making $150,000 a year with her education and experience doing what she was doing before my accident. But because she doesn't, we don't want to live with the nurse 24 hours a day, which is what he qualifies for, 24-7 care. You give her $0 and do not recognize her as an employee, do not recognize her as a caregiver. And she cannot have her job. She cannot have a regular job because she's choosing to stay at home. For me, the thought of having my husband with a nurse all day long, standing there, sitting in a chair, reading, waiting for when he needs her, it literally makes my skin crawl. Not to mention the fact that, you know, we get up early and it doesn't suit our lifestyle. And, you know, having someone around that, that wouldn't even be able to get here in the first place. Um, it's just not something that suits us as a couple. And so, we're appealing that right now and we'll see what happens. The decision is due at the end of October. Um, but yeah, I was denied. I was denied because I'm his wife and because of the policies that were made in 1960, I cannot be hired because they're worried about getting taken advantage of. Right. Yeah. Unpaid domestic labor. You know, there are, uh, there are a lot of domestic hardships as it is, you know, Mm. even if, even if we, I don't know, it's just, it's so, 
It's yuck. It's all around just yucky. It's yucky. And it's the same everywhere. It's the same everywhere. We've with, learned this. Except yeah, Finland. Except yeah. Finland. <laughs> well, and the thing is, we're, we're still, it's like people always say 2020, we're so progressive. Mm. Oh, are we? Are we that progressive where, you know, the, the women are considered to have to, you know, that are cre- that were created just to pop out babies, cook, clean, do laundry, take care of our injured men. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, apparently it's 1950, right? But he- so here's here's the thing. What, what are we what are we doing? Like, what are how can we change this? Because we found out over the years that it's the same everywhere except for Finland. Um, and <laughs> actually, we're going to move to Finland. Yeah. I according <laughs> to my ancestry. <laughs> <laughs> According to my ancestry DNA test that you guys got me for Christmas, I am four percent Finnish, so I oh. should be there. Okay. I wonder if you can get citizenship with four percent. Probably not. <laughs> Could try. It's so funny. They're so progressive. They'll probably be like, "Oh, a caregiver that knows what she's doing. Yes, come live here. Four <laughs> percent. Support your certificate. Partner. You know, and take yeah. off your ancestry DNA <laughs> certificate. Please present it. Present exactly. it as evidence that you are indeed part Finnish, and oh uh, so then you're funny. welcome. No, but in all seriousness, Brooke and I, you know, this podcast is a lot of us. You know, this is our opinion pieces and some of our experiences around what we have have taken on and and seen and dealt with head on with a lot of criticism, um, both from both sides, both perspectives, I guess, uh, whether you do it, whether you are a caregiver, whether you're not, whether you should stay, whether you should leave, talk about it, don't talk about it. We hear it all. And um, yeah. at the end of the day, we we are moving forward with this. Mm-hmm. We, as of this last few weeks, so we're getting ready, we're getting prepared for caregiver awareness month. We get a whole month in November to to kind of uh, <laughs> highlight 30 days of more of this. To spam um, your Instagram feeds every day, all day. Get ready. <laughs> That's right. This was a short week for us. Uh, we have 20 <laughs> posts up already. But no, we we actually contacted our local MLA, mm-hmm. David Abbey, who actually was very helpful. He took the time. He had a Zoom call with us. He listened to what we had to say, which was great. And not only that, he actually came back to us with a list of resources of other people we should contact. And he said himself, it's very important. This is a very important work that we're doing. And that we should talk about it and that we should definitely get recognition for the work that we are doing. He, you know, which was great. That was a good start for us. Um, We also do have an internationally recognized publication who has asked to do a follow up article on the WEGS of SEI. Um, based off of the 2017 article that was published that kind of gave us a boost Mm -hmm. into the public eye. Um, So we are taking this full on head on. We are definitely going to be going to the media and talking more about this. And again, doing it with as much love as possible um, and gritting our teeth. (laughs) Yeah. And it's really exciting too about this article is because we're submitting all of the names of the women who have bravely come forward saying that they are going to go on record to discuss 
the policies surrounding unpaid care and COVID. So it's a really, really great time to be advocating for this because COVID has highlighted a lot of the issues in the caregiving community because we're relieving the healthcare system. We're making it so that, you know, it's not just about elderly. That's our angle is like, yeah, the elderly, it's a huge issue, but most of the media coverage is about the elderly. What about all of us, you know, ages 20 to 60 who are at home with our partners without care because it's too dangerous um, and we're relieving the healthcare system. So there's a big COVID angle about this too. And that's what they're really interested in is they want to hear about the experiences of these women who cannot marry their partner because they won't be compensated anymore. I think that's a huge piece that we need to mention is, um, I, it it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that you, in a lot of States, and even here, you know, if you're a girlfriend and you don't live with your partner, you can be paid to be looked to look after them. But if you have that piece of paper that says that you're married, all of a sudden you lose half your benefits. You are not entitled to be caring for your partner anymore. And it just doesn't make any sense. And so the reporter's angle is like, I want to share stories about these women who cannot legally marry their disabled partners because of the ramifications of financial devastation if they do. And also tie that into COVID, right? Right. Yes. And through COVID, for instance, many of us have had to give up out of the out of fear of, yes, our care aides are taking all the precautions necessary um, as professionals to ensure that they are keeping themselves safe. And a lot of our care aides have families to go home to after as well. So it's kind of like a double edged sword. They have to show up for work. They have to pay their bills. But then they're also coming from home to home to home into our home to do the care, which is just it just it blew my mind. I just, for, for both Dan and I, we just couldn't wrap our heads around it. Um, we canceled the care. We did it ourselves for months and definitely felt the strain on our relationship because Dan is the kind of person he wakes up in the morning and he's like, that's it. Let's get up. Come on. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And I'm the kind of person I wake up in the morning and I'm like, Oh, I just want to have my coffee. I need to like wake up. And so just, that's just a quick little example of like how we just, you know, our lives and our ideas are a little bit different, which we definitely had the opportunity to work through, which was great. But so we canceled those hours. We did it ourselves. We didn't have any care. And then when we present this, presented this case back to Cecil, to our case manager saying, well, I am doing the the care now. So what happens there? And she basically said, well, you know, there's, you know, there's some gray area around that. If, if there's absolutely nobody else who could show up, then maybe we would consider it. But again, we haven't heard from her in over no, a month with the, it doesn't happen. With the, it doesn't. And no. it doesn't happen. And it's all it's all yucky lies. It's all lies. <laughs> we can see your true colors. I yep. play that song for Brooke often. So <laughs> it's, uh, we'll have to add it to the podcast. I see your true colors. Yeah. You know, you know who you are. We see you. But what one last thing that I wanted to mention is when I see friends I haven't seen for a little while or even even close friends or family. And I always get the same question. When are you guys going to get married? Are you guys never? Not now. (laughs) And my heart, I'm like, um, no. No, you (laughs) know, Elena. I mean, we will. Elena, I've got to share this. I've got to share this since you brought up marriage. So Elena's never getting married until she can (laughs) be recognized as a caregiver and not have her benefits taken away. Not to mention, if you guys get married, he, you have joint income, and he's not going to qualify for any sort of housing or co-op or any disability payments. 
So that's right. You can't ever get married. As for me, (laughs) as for me, I made the huge mistake of marrying my partner four years ago. We had a nice accessible wedding in Tuscany. It was beautiful. It was a huge mistake though, because now I can't be compensated. Now our, his income is adjusted and disability payments don't come in. But also I think there's something to be said about the divorce thing. So Elena was told by her case manager, obviously she mentioned that already that she had to move out, get a different mailing address and she could be compensated. I actually was on a conversation with our case manager and we recorded the whole thing, which is amazing because we were on, on a joint call with our case manager and two policymakers who are lawyers that work within WorkSafe BC. And we had a 45 minute call with them, recorded the whole thing. Thank God. And during that call, my husband, Evan said, Okay, so if she can't be paid and she's never been paid, and that's impossible because we're married, would you suggest us legally separating and getting a divorce so that she can be paid? And I have it on, I have it recorded. It was like an eruption of laughter from all of them. They started laughing. Like it was, it wasn't just like a normal like giggle. It was like an Mm -hmm. eruption of laughter. And they said, oh my God, haha, that's so funny. And they didn't stop laughing for about 30 seconds. They were back and forth, chitter-chattering. And Evan said, I'm glad you think this is funny, but this is horrifying to me that you're laughing because this is my life. And this you're is my telling, reality. Yeah, this is my reality. And I'm asking you a question and you're laughing. And he's like, how would you like it if you were in this situation where you had to divorce your spouse that you love more than anything that has provided free care for you for six years because of you guys? And they were silent. And they said, well, we certainly wouldn't ask that of you. And Evan said, well, what's the option then? Because what you're telling me is that's my only option. And so they were silent. Right. They were silent. And so I think that's the biggest thing that is hitting a lot of women across the world, and especially in North America, is they get married and they don't know these things. And then once they get married, then it just happens where they get their social security taken away. They get their benefits taken away. Their health care declines. You know, we, we need to add that the health care of these men is hugely expensive. So to say that because you're married, now your benefits are taken away, your income for caring for your partner gets taken away. So how are you supposed to support yourself? Like then it, it's just a vicious cycle. It's just a circle. Of you're not. They just, they just want you to go away. They want you yeah. to just go away. So and yeah. Um, these yeah, are, so these anyways, are issues. <laughs> Well, I mean, we, we keep on trying to advocate. We keep on having these conversations and we appreciate anybody who has written us in this past week coming forward with their story mm-hmm. and uh, sharing these things with us, too, because, you know, that is how you make change yep. that, you know, you have to use your voice. You can't just just complain about something and just sit back and think somebody else is going to deal with it Mm -hmm. because that's not the way that things happen. You have to, I know it's exhausting. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm exhausted. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm exhausted. I was up at three o'clock this morning, wide awake, um, staring at the freaking ceiling and outside thinking, how am I going to, how are we going to make change? How are we going to do this? You know, it consumes our lives because we're in it. We are living it. Yeah. We, wa- we don't want to see this. We don't want to see these challenges and barricades and red tape for every other couple who's right now sitting in the rehab with their mm-hmm. injured partner, mourning the loss of their parts of their body, and they have no idea what they're getting themselves into in terms of 
the limitations that are put in place for you. Mm -hmm. And you know what? At that point, you are trusting all the medical health Mm -hmm. experts and professionals and social workers and case managers because you expect that they will give you the right information that is going to set you up. But it's quite the opposite. That's their job. They're doing their job, too, where they're wanting to. You know, they tell you everything's going to be okay. You just fill out this paper and sign here and do this and do that. But I can guarantee you, give it one year and you won't hear from them again. Mm -hmm. Nobody will be checking up on you. You Mm -hmm. have to do it yourself. You Mm -hmm. have to be your own advocate. And that's something that Brooks has told me from the get-go. She said, you know, you need these things in writing. You can't just have these phone call conversations with people saying, well, no, you, you can't be approved for these hours. And let me get back to you. Let's go back to the drawing board. You need this stuff in writing. It's just going to bite you in the ass if you don't have a proper file put together. You need to create your own case. You need to speak up for yourself. This well, is your life. And Elena, what was one of the first things that Robin told us? Um, so Robin Wishart is our lawyer and she's our advocate and she helps out the community so much. She's she's the lawyer that um, sponsors the podcast. Um, she told us, the first thing she told us was, Get every single thing that comes out of your case manager's mouth in writing. Everything. If you don't have it in writing, it's not admissible, it's not enforceable, and it didn't happen. So that's that's a huge thing. You know, when you're talking about advocating for yourself, make sure you get it in writing. I know we've gotten a few emails lately from women locally that didn't even know that you could get things in writing, which makes me sick Mm -hmm. to my stomach because it's just, they're just being taken advantage of because you're a number, you know, and I know we may sound harsh, but once you get to, we've said this before, once you get to the place where you can accept that you're just a number and nobody really cares about you, but you and your partner, then you can operate from a more impartial stance of like, no, 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 this isn't right. Send me this in writing, give this to me in writing so I can do something about it. It's right? more logical, right? Especially yeah. as like us as women, I hate to like fall into that stereotype, but like, yeah, emotions do, especially going through what we're going through, yeah. can and do kind of exhaust you and take over a little mm-hmm. bit. But you got to be one tough cookie. You got to the way you've been fighting for your partner and their life being a caregiver. You have to put that same amount of energy into fighting for yourself and your rights. Yeah. And that's what it comes down to. So. Yeah. So <laughs> thanks for listening to our podcast today. <laughs> that was about, a mouthful. <laughs> um, yeah, it was. We always plan to do a quick snippet of a podcast it never to keep happens. it short, but no, there's just too much. We're very passionate about the work that we do. This is our life. This is our mission. This is our goal. We're not going to sit back and watch everybody get bulldozed mm-hmm. by the systems that are in place. that are expired that do not provide any resources or help for you or your partner so please join us every week we will be back here talking about a new issue please keep in mind that we will be discussing caregiver awareness come the month of november so if you have any more shares and stories that you feel that need to be shared that people need to hear and listen to and think about and discuss please feel free to submit them to wegsofsci at gmail.com. And once again, we thank our mentor and sponsor, Robin Wishart with Wishart Law for providing so much support for 
uh, spinal cord injury or personal injury. She is amazing. We trust her with everything we have. She's done amazing work for us. Mm-hmm. So we want to give her a shout out. Thank you, Robin, for the amazing work you do in our community. And if you guys uh, need to get a hold of us, you know where we're at. Uh, Instagram, Wags of SEI. We also run a private discussion group on Facebook called the Wags of SEI Private Discussion Group. <laughs> so please join us every week. We are your hosts, Elena Pauly and Burke Paget. Until next time, cheers. The advocacy and outreach group Wags of SCI is currently a volunteer-based operation. We raise funds year-round to pay for date nights for our couples, essential medical supplies that our members may not be able to afford, mental health support for our Wags, including counseling, and our amazing meetups led by our volunteer ambassadors around the globe. If you feel called to support our mission, please visit our website, wagsofsci.com, or donate directly to the Wags of SCI GoFundMe page. We thank you for your support to help make this group possible and make a difference in the lives of SCI couples worldwide.